Uh, I ask you to turn to Psalm uh, 61 this morning. Uh, there's really two reasons for it. Uh, one is because it is at least in part a psalm of prayer. And as you've seen in your bulletin this morning, uh, and as I will be dealing with a little bit later on, uh, we are kicking off today uh, here at First Baptist Church of Noonan a 40-day prayer emphasis. Uh, it's, it's a time of focusing on praying, asking God for his direction for the days to come, and I'll explain that more in just a moment. And this psalm, Psalm 61, begins as a prayer of David calling out to God. So that's part the reason I chose this psalm this morning. Secondly, is because of one word that is in this psalm. And it's a, a word you don't hear talked about much at church, but yet you see it when you read through the psalms. And it is the word that is found at the end of verse 4, the word selah. Selah. You'll notice in your bulletin, that's the name that we're going to call this 40-day of prayer emphasis, Selah. And we'll talk about the meaning of that and how it connects to our praying and seeking God in just a few moments. So it's because of those two things um, that the Lord, I felt like, just led me to Psalm 61. Psalm 61 is a very interesting psalm. Uh, you will note if your Bible has any study notes there that this is one of the many psalms written by King David. And we are told in the subtitles that this psalm was written for the choir director. I mean, y'all know these choir directors. They need an extra word from the Lord, don't they? Where's Lee? Where's he at? Oh, he went to the bathroom. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> y'all tell him I'm preaching to him this morning. He's not even in here. Um, but it is. It's written for the choir director. And the reason was because many of the Psalms, in fact, most of the Psalms that we have in our Bible were actually songs. We don't know the medley. We don't have the, the music. We don't know what it sounded like when they sang it uh, 2,500 years ago. But these are songs that were used in the worship of God's people. Psalm 61 certainly was one of those Psalms. Another interesting fact about Psalm 61 is that this is one of the many psalms that David wrote uh, while he was in trouble. He was going through a tough time in life. Things were difficult. There had been a lot of turmoil in his life and in the life of his family. In fact, uh, history tells us David probably wrote this psalm after all his trouble from his rebellious son Absalom. So David writes concerning his trials and his troubles and how God delivered him out of his trials and troubles. And folks, the truth of the matter is this psalm applies to us because we all go through times of trouble, don't we? We all have testings and tribulations that we have to walk through in this life. In fact, somebody said one time, you're either in a trial, just coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. And that's kind of how life does us, isn't it? So there's something here to be said to all of us as David is expressing his heart after he walked through a time of trouble. So Psalm 61, we'll read all eight verses. If you would please stand with me in honor of God's word. I'll read the text out loud. You follow along there in your copy of the Bible. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. 
From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. And there's that word, Selah. For you have heard my, my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever, appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may pay my vows day by day. Father, thank you for this great psalm. Help us as we look through it. Help us understand how you work in our hearts and our lives to even to deliver us from times of trial and trouble in our hearts. But Lord, help us see how you want us to respond to you this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Having read this psalm and others, it's important to note that David seemed to have learned some of his greatest spiritual lessons after he'd walked through times of difficulty. And that's probably true in your life, and it's certainly true in my life. Some of the greatest spiritual things that God has taught me over these years, I have learned in the midst of a hard situation, a trial, a tribulation, some trouble that came my way. That seems to be true here of King David, and that seems to be true all throughout his life. The choir just sang a moment ago, Psalm 23. But you see this truth clearly in Psalm 23. In fact, verse 4 of that great psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in Psalm 23, we find that David, it was when he was looking death square in the face that he was able to learn and say, I fear no evil for you, speaking of God, are with me. Trouble caused David to learn a great spiritual truth. And it seems to work that way in all of our lives. So what did David learn? When he went through times of difficulty, what truths did he learn about God? What lessons did he learn as he traveled through that difficult time? Well, he records those for us, I think, here in Psalm 61. So let's talk about them for a few moments. Uh, I want to share with you five lessons that David learned that we see here in Psalm 61. All of these start with the letter P, so hopefully they'll be easy for you to remember. These are certainly lessons that you and I need to learn as we walk through times of difficulty in this life. Lesson number one, David learned a lesson about godly prayer. He learned a lesson about godly prayer. Verse 1 in the first part of verse 2 again. Hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Again, it was David's trial and trouble that caused him to be driven to his knees to call out to God. In fact, his praying was so intense in the midst of his trouble, it says here of David that he cried unto the Lord. Now that word cried that's used there is not talking about crying like, like a baby might cry or just 
crying because of sadness. It depicts the cry of a heart to God in a desperate situation. And while it is certainly true that we should pray at other times uh, beyond just times of trouble, there's just something about trouble that drives us to our knees. It's just something about facing difficulty that drives us to prayer. David cried unto the Lord. And you see that consistently of King David all throughout uh, the Old Testament. Psalm 64 verse 1, David writes, he says, Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint, probably better translated, in my concern. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. Hide me from secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. O God, hear my voice. Hear my concern. Hear my prayers, what he says. Psalm 86, verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplication. When he was in trouble, David learned how to pray. He learned how to seek God. Abraham Lincoln once said the following, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. You ever been there? You hit your knees because you didn't know anywhere else to go? Life was overwhelming. David felt that way. Abraham Lincoln, one of the greatest, I think, one of the greatest presidents we've ever had. He felt that way, but he was convinced, as David was, he could go to God in prayer. Stephen Oford, one of the great, great preachers of this past century, Dr. Oford once says, Yes, there is only one thing that will save us in this hour of desperation, and that is prayer. That is prayer. Uh, how desperately we need to learn what David learned here. In his troubles, David learned a great lesson about prayer. Second lesson David learned, you see it in the last part of verse 2. Uh, David not only learned a lesson about godly prayer, David learned a lesson about God's power. He learned a lesson about God's power. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Boy, I like that. I like that. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You see, in trouble, David learned he didn't have the power in his own life to deal with the need that he faced. He understood that he needed a power way beyond himself. So in his prayer, he calls out to God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As we saw a couple weeks ago, from our perspective on this side of the cross, we know who the rock is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But even in the Old Testament sense, it was David's need that he cried out. It's his way of expressing, I need something beyond myself. I don't have what it takes to deal with this. Hey, folks, one of the greatest lessons, spiritual lessons, that you and I can learn is that we cannot handle this life in our own power, but he can. God's power is greater than our. He is the rock that is higher than we are. We need to learn the lesson about God's power. By the way, from, we're talking about that from an Old Testament standpoint. From a New Testament standpoint, there, there are two verses that I've, I've always thought were a divine paradox. 
they're always, they've, they've always intrigued me because they seem to be on a total opposite end of the spectrum of, of spiritual truth, yet put the two together and it teaches us a very important lesson about life. It's the same lesson that David learned about God's power. One of those verses is found in John's gospel, the 15th chapter, verse 5. The Lord Jesus speaking, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And then Jesus says these words, apart from me, you can do, read it. That's almost hard to say, isn't it? Apart from me, you can do what? Hey, folks, I got news for you. You don't have what it takes to, to make it through trouble in life. You, we, none of us do. None of us do. And apart from God and his grace, apart from Jesus, we're bankrupt. We can do nothing. In the spiritual realm, that certainly applies I'm totally blank, bankrupt without God doing something in me and through me. I don't have what it takes. And you don't either. But that's part of the divine paradox. Then you go over to Philippians 4.13. And Paul tells us these words. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Without him, I am nothing. With him, I can do all things. That's the divine paradox. And I believe David learned that truth. That's why he said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Uh, a gentleman who made a major impact in my life early on in my Christian walk. I uh, only got to hear him preach, well, I heard him live preach one time. I heard tapes of his, read some of his books. Was a man by the name, he went by the name Major Ian Thomas. Major Ian Thomas, and I believe it was in his book entitled The Mystery of Godliness that Major Ian Thomas said, gave a little phrase that has stuck with me over all of these years that has helped me tremendously. And it says the same thing as David says here in this verse. This is what Major Ian Thomas wrote. He said, I can't. You never said I could. You can you always said you would. Speaking to God, I can't. I can do nothing without you. I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. And it was in the midst of his trouble that David learned he can't. But he also learned God could. David learned a lesson about godly prayer. He learned a lesson about God's power. Thirdly, uh, Psalm 61 teaches us that David learned a lesson about God's protection. About God's protection and what an important one it is for us to learn and particularly while we're walking through difficult times in life. Verses 3 and 4. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. It was out of a very difficult situation in the life of David that he learned that God would protect him regardless of what might come. And because of that, he could say, God is my refuge. God is my tower of strength. 
God is my shelter. He understood and he learned that God would protect him no matter how bad it got and no matter how threatening the enemy might become. Now, you don't need to turn there, but if we went back just a couple of Psalms to Psalm 56, verse 4 and verse 11, the psalmist says almost the same thing both in both those verses. Uh, David writes, and he says, In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? I mean, David was so conscious and aware of God's protection for him that he knew nothing could happen to him on this earth as long as he was in God's protecting hand. What can man do to me? And he was probably running for his life at this point in time when he wrote these words. Psalm 62 verse 7, on God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my, is my strength. My refuge is in God. We need to learn about God's protection. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I, uh, I couldn't help but think about uh, when reading those verses uh, the first time that I had the privilege of going to China. Now, this was a number of years ago, and China is still an interesting place to go to. Uh, we, we were going into China. We had the privilege uh, of being able to meet with some of the underground church leaders uh, there in Beijing. And it was through a friend of mine who is an evangelist that worked with the Billy Graham Association that he put us in touch with one of the men who was responsible for the underground church movement. And because um, in many ways they've outlawed the organized church, there is a, a type of church there in China that's approved by the government, but it's not a true church. And because of that, many Christians, many people in China have come to Christ and they've started meeting in homes, which is illegal. At least in China, they consider it illegal. And uh, they, they say, and this is, this is an old statistic, so it's no telling how many it is now, that there are over 60 million Chinese believers that we know about today, most of which meet in small church homes. And uh, here we were going into China. We were smuggling in some Bibles. We were uh, going to meet with some of the leaders, which if they caught you meeting in these church homes, these home churches, cell groups, they, they put you in jail. There were many of the Chinese that were put in jail because of it. And then on top of that, and we found this out after we got there, we were going to the home of this gentleman who is an, a national a Chineseman. And it's illegal, we found out, for a foreigner, which I was in their country, it's illegal for somebody like me to go into the home of a national Chinese. I had to be honest with you, knowing all those things, it was quite fearful. Um, I didn't want to get thrown in jail in China, if you don't know the truth about it. And I remember it being a deep concern, so much so that like David, it caused me to cry out to the Lord in prayer. Now, I didn't hear God say this with an audible voice. He didn't need to say it with an audible voice. But he spoke to my heart. And this is pretty much what he said. Ken, do I not protect you while you're in the United States of America? Do you not think I'm the same God in China that I am here? 
hey, I can protect you there just like I can protect you at home. And you know what? God was right. Surprised at that, huh? God was right. He is right. His protection's everywhere. After God spoke that to my heart, I was no longer fearful because I knew God's protecting hand was with me regardless of what might come my way. That's what King David learned. He learned about God's protection regardless of what the enemy might do to us. David learned about godly prayer, about God's power, about God's protection. Fourthly, David learned a lesson about God's provision. God's provision. Verses 5 to 7. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. I think when you read those three verses, David learned two important facts about God's provision for us. First, David learned that God would provide for him in this life on this earth. In fact, he says here, God will provide an inheritance for me. He says, God will grant me a long life. In other words, God provides me with everything I need, even when I'm walking through difficult times. But David also learned that God would provide for him in the life to come, in eternity. He says here, I will abide before God forever. Loving kindness and truth will preserve me, he says, forever. He knew of God's provision regardless what, of what might come his way. Again, Psalm 23. The choir sang it. Boy, again, I love that song. But let me read it to you again. This whole Psalm 23 speaks of these things. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Boy, you talk about God's provision. It's all in that psalm. David learned that lesson even in the midst of his trouble. In fact, I think he learned it so well that if he had been able to, he would have said amen to what the apostle Paul told us when he wrote the words of Philippians 4:19, And that says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. David learned the lesson about God's provision. And then fifthly, and then I'll close this up this morning. David learned a lesson about Godward praise. He learned a lesson about Godward praise. Verse 8. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may pay my vows day by day. You know, the true test of our praise to God does not come in the easy times of life. 
but in the difficult times. Hey, it's, it's not hard to give God praise when everything's going good, is it? It's not hard to be thankful to the Lord when everything's fine. No trouble, no difficulty. It's easy to be able to give God praise and glory when things are easy. But when it gets difficult and where it gets difficult is when things are tough. David learned to praise God at all times because God had shown him his power, his protection, and his provision. And because of this, David knew that God was worthy of praise at all times. I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it in the 13th chapter, verse 15. Through him then, the him there is Jesus. Through him then, let us continually offer up, and here's the phrase, a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. It's not a sacrifice to praise God when everything's good. But when I'm walking through a difficult trial, even in the midst of that trial, to still be able to praise God for all that he's done, that requires a sacrifice of praise. So I will sing praise to your name forever. David learned a lesson about Godward praise. Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. We learn to praise God even in the midst of our trial. I love Charles Spurgeon for many reasons. A powerful preacher, maybe some would argue maybe the greatest preacher that the Christian world has ever known. I've enjoyed over the years of reading his, some of his sermons and uh, reading uh, some of his quotes. Uh, it's hard to read sometimes because he spoke in the old, at least he wrote uh, in the old King James English, if you would. So I've, I've had to read th certain things, go back and reread it to really grasp what he said. But what a wordsmith he was. Speaking of praise, speaking of praising God even in the midst of trouble, Spurgeon once framed it this way. If I did not praise and bless Christ my Lord, I should deserve to have my tongue torn out by its roots from my mouth. If I did not bless and magnify his name, I should deserve that every stone I tread on in the streets should rise up to curse my ingratitude. For I am a drowned debtor to the mercy of God, over head and ears, to infinite love and boundless compassion. I am a debtor. Are you not the same? Then I charge you, by the love of Christ, awake, awake your hearts now to magnify his glorious name. David learned a lesson about praising God even in the midst of difficulty. All right, let me close. We'll make three applications to this psalm. Three things I want you to take away from this this morning. And I'm going to tie it in with what we're about to do. 
Number one application is simply this. Um, this psalm has personal application. We can all learn from it. For when we walk through difficult times, these are lessons that we need to learn. These are lessons we need to walk in, to hang on to, to be encouraged by. Uh, all of us must learn them. And we must learn them again as we walk through this thing called life. We all need to learn about godly prayer. But what a privilege it is to call on God in times of need. We need to learn about his power, his protection, his provision. For all three of those things are ours because we are his children. And as a result, we need to give Godward praise, giving him the glory and the honor that he deserves even when we have to walk through hard times in life. That's the first lesson I want you to walk out of here with this morning. Second lesson, let's get to that word selah. Y'all thought I forgot about it, didn't you? Back in verse 4, you find it. Uh, there you find this word uh, that I mentioned earlier. And it's a word that we see often being injected into many of the Psalms. Selah. What in the world does that word mean? And what does it have to do with us today? Well, uh, there's much speculation as to the meaning of this word selah. As you read through your Bibles, you will find it used 71 times in the book of Psalms. You will find it used three times in the book of Habakkuk. Not tobacco, Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Uh, most likely, uh, scholars tell us this word selah was a musical notation that could have meant silence and or to pause and or to end. It is also possible that it's a notation that indicated louder emphasis. There also are some from the musical side of this word that think this word is similar to an instrumental interlude. In other words, it meant a pause in the voices singing while the instruments played by themselves for a while. It is interesting to note in the Hebrew language, the New American Standard Hebrew lexicon defines this word selah as to lift up or to exalt. Another suggestion of the meaning of this word is that it is used to encourage the reader and or the singer to take pause to think seriously about what was being said or sung. In other words, here in the Psalms, it was meant to cause to pause and reflect on the meaning of what had just been said before you move to the next thing being said. Now, I like best what Dr. John Phillips had to say about this word in his commentary on the book of Psalms. Dr. Phillips said the word was put there to cause us to stop and really consider what had been said or what had been written. It was a word for emphasis. In other words, it was as if the psalmist would write a particular statement about God. He would then add this word, selah, which was to say to us, well, what do you think about that? So when God 
David writes about God's power, God's protection, God's provision. He puts that word Selah there to say to us, well, what do you think about that? Boy, it ought to bless your heart. It ought to encourage you. It ought to build you up in your walk with the Lord. Here's the third application, and I'm through uh, this morning. Uh, as a church family today, uh, we are kicking off a 40-day prayer emphasis as we are in the process of refocusing and renewal as a church. During these days, being led by Corpus, our pulpit search team, and the pastoral staff, and eventually from others within our church family, we need to see law. We all need to pause. We need to take an intermission and to seek the heart and the mind and the will of God for this church for the days to come. That's why our pulpit search team has chosen to call this prayer emphasis Selah, pausing in his presence. And as we do, we need to reflect upon the power of prayer as we seek God's will for our next pastor for the days to come for this church. We need to remember God's power, God's protection, and God's provision as he continues to work in and through our church family. And as we continue to see him at work in the life of our church, we want to be faithful to give Godward praise both for who he is and what he has done and is doing for us as a church family. Now I close by making just a comment or two about what we're presently doing. There's been some questions about this group that we've hired to help us as a church and what are we doing? What is the pulpit search committee doing? I want to answer that real quickly to you this morning and then I'm going to ask you for a response. Uh, excuse me if I stick a little bit closer to my notes. I told the early group this morning I want to I'm not going to read it word for word, but I'm going to basically read. I want to make sure I say the same thing in here I said over there earlier this morning. Uh, let, me, let me frame it this way. Corpus has been hired by our church to help us as a church refocus for revitalization for the future. Here's a few things uh, that you need to know about that right now. First, Jesus' last work on earth was to refocus and revitalize his church. You can read about such in 2nd and third chapters of the book of the Revelation where Jesus did exactly that for seven churches that were written to. Even the best church, the church of Philadelphia, was refocused for future use by our Lord. Second, to pause to refocus as a church. Now listen carefully to me. To pause to refocus as a church is our effort as a church family to hear God's voice as we prepare for the next season of ministry for this church for the years to come. Third, this refocus process led by Corpus is a fully biblical and comprehensive model for helping a church recover its mission and its purpose. Fourth, the refocus team has already begun working its way through a comprehensive process that will help us as a church better understand our past, our present, and our future. 
Fifth, the pastor search team under the leadership of Russell Vineyard expanded to include myself and Pastor Lee along with our chairman of deacons, Mike Hendrick, make up this present refocus team. They or we are presently working with both discipline and diligence to help guide our church towards the future. And sixth, in the very near future, there will be opportunities for you as the church family to receive further updates, to ask questions, and to share comments with the refocus team so that we as a church will all have unity of spirit and a clear vision for the future. So in the meantime, we ask you, all of you, every one of us, we ask you to Selah, to pause for a few minutes and to seek God's mind and to seek God's heart. I, I told the early church, the church service this morning, uh, this is not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God wants. This is his church. Don't lose sight of that. It's not your church. This is his church. And if we want God's best, then it falls on our responsibility to seek God to find out what he wants and then follow his will completely. So this refocusing, this prayer emphasis, we have been doing that as a church. I know many of you have been very faithful, been very faithful this last, what, 18 months uh, plus. Uh, to be praying towards this. But again, we're refocusing. We're, we're redirecting our seeking God. That's what we're going to do these next 40 days. So as a result, I'm going to ask you, every one of you, every one of you, every one of us, to make a commitment for the next 40 days to be faithful, to pray for your church, and to pray for this process. If you're a guest here today, Hey, we invite you to join with us. We, we'll, we'll take all the prayers we can get. You're welcome to participate. You have an insert that looks like, I start, this morning I said it looks something like this. Well, it looks exactly like this, okay? It's in your bulletin. There is a uh, QR code. You can take your phone. You can scan that. You can sign up to receive for the next 40 days starting tomorrow. You will receive a daily devotional a daily prayer direction that will help us all together to be praying towards the same things. It will help us focus on what God wants to accomplish through this refocusing time. And I want to ask every member of this church to participate in that time. If, if you're not, uh, if you don't have a smartphone, you are still got one of them dumb phones. Uh, you, you don't have access to, to get to scan something like that, call the church office tomorrow morning and I'm sure one of our ladies will be glad to sign you up online and to get you what you need. We want everybody to participate. So that's the commitment I'm going to ask you to make this morning. You, re you ready to make it? Yes. You, you willing to make it? Yes. Now, some of you don't sound real convinced. <laughs> I hope you are. Hey, folks, listen to me. Hear my heart. This is a matter of life and death for First Baptist Church in Noonan. Do you know that? It really is. I hope you understand that. Will you make that commitment? Here's, I'm, 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 I'm going to put you on the spot. 
I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to ask you to do that. If you're willing to say, and you're saying to the Lord, Pastor Ken, I'm going to commit myself for the next 40 days seriously to pray about this whole matter. Seriously seek God's face. I want to be a part of helping our church do that. I'm making that commitment today. Would you stand to your feet? Lord Jesus, you see these around this auditorium. And if you're sitting now, if you'll please go ahead and stand. You're, you see the many. Lord, same response, first service. Lord, I believe most people here today, most people that were in this early service, most that are probably listening online, deeply love this church. Deeply want to see your best. Deeply want to see your will done. Lord, sometimes we might not always agree on what that might be or what that might look like, but I really believe this church wants what you want for it. And Lord, we, we want to be serious about finding out. For whatever reasons, your delays have been there. Maybe if for no other reason, it calls us to have to seek your face. So Lord, this is our way of being able to intentionally do this over these next 40 days. Lord, I pray you'll help us. I pray you will remind us. I pray you will encourage us. Lord, I pray we will be serious about it. And Lord, over these next few weeks, as we as a church family pray and we proceed in the process of all that we're going to be doing in these next few months, that we'll see your handiwork. We'll see your hand at work. Lord, we'll see you working to make our path straight as we acknowledge you in all of our ways. So Lord, we call upon you. We trust you to guide us. I thank you for the men and women who have given of their time already to help this church seek your face. And for the many others that will be involved and really for every person who will be given of themselves for prayer, thank you for them. And Lord, we trust that you'll be honored and you'll be pleased. And Lord, we together will be able to say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.